Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. The Juice on the Cues podcast on the Big Heads Media Network is presented by MyBookie.ag. At MyBookie, it's time to celebrate the college football season. Sign up now and make your first deposit to get a dollar-for-dollar match all the way up to $1,000. The best part is MyBookie has thousands of bets to choose from, from the full NFL slate to college football to the NBA playoffs. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want is waiting at MyBookie. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Use promo code JUICEONCUES and double your first deposit now. Again, that's promo code JUICEONCUES. It's a no-brainer. Your winning season begins today only at mybookie.ag. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about the midway point of the college football season and Syracuse's matchup against Duke. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman. And our guest today is ESPN college football reporter, David Hale. David, thank you so much for coming on the program. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, David. It's a pleasure to have you on, and I want to get you started on this one. This has been a season unlike any other because half of college football is playing through a pandemic. What has it been like for you as a reporter covering it? Uh, not great. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to suggest that, uh, you know, we're having any harder time than anybody else. Everybody's trying to make it work one way or another. But, um, you know, I think just from a, a sheer news standpoint it's it's frustrating because it feels like things are changing every day and you never get to a point where you kind of feel like you have your foundation and your feet under you uh and you know that's part of the job and and I'm not concerned about that so much but the other thing is like it's just like everything else I mean you know you can check in with your friends and family via zoom but it ain't the same as being there and as a reporter you know, I, I build relationships in person. I get color for stories in person. I feel better about the interviews that I'm doing when I can do them in person. Um, it's just really hard 
to do the things that I think are most important in in telling good stories when you're not there, when you're not actually having that face-to-face time with the people that you're writing about. And, you know, certainly there's plenty you can do over Zoom or the phone, but there's a level of, um, I don't know, uh, distance between you and your subject that I think comes through in the writing too, when you are not there in person, when you can't read their body language, when you can't um, necessarily follow up with a, a follow-up question when you hear something interesting and, and stuff like that. So it's just, you know, I think it's it's added a layer of difficulty to everything that we're doing. And I think that's true, certainly not just for me and my job, but for everybody. It just so happens that, you know, what my job is, I think that, that it translates very much into how the products that you see when people are writing these days is that I think there's a, um, a an extra layer of distance to to how uh, good stories are told because they're being told through Zoom now. That's a really great perspective on it. And I did want to talk to you about the college football season. You wrote about it over the weekend, but it seems like the college football playoff is going to be Clemson, the Big Ten champion, and two SEC teams. Tell me a scenario where it will be any different. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's early, and we have a whole lot of uncertainty ahead of us. Um, I mean, I, I think there is <laughs> there's probably as much a chance of there not being a playoff at all as there is of a group of five team getting in. If you want my honest opinion about it, I think the most <laughs> likely scenario is is just what you said. It's, it's probably you know Ohio State or whoever wins the Big Ten, Clemson or whoever wins the ACC and, and two SEC teams because um, you know the, the narrative is sort of preset in a lot of ways of these things. I mean, the SEC doesn't have to play of conference at all this year and, and people will say well no that's a bad thing because poor sec they just beat up on each other and there's probably some truth to that but it also means that the sec gets to write whatever narrative it wants to write about itself so every game is going to be hard now for them and so they deserve two teams in for for man- maneuvering through that that impossible sec schedule even though the only way we know that it's hard is because the sec told us that it is that's just how it works um <laughs> you know i I don't I don't know that you know things can't change. It's going to be really fascinating this year though because the Pac-12 and the Big 10 are going to sort of be like the last golfers on the course at a major. Like there's going to be you know the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12 will have put up their scores and retired to the clubhouse, but there's still going to be two conferences that are out there hoping to uh you know shoot enough birdies to get ahead at the last minute. Um it's just you know usually we're used to coming into the last weekend and we all know where everybody is and and what teams have to do to get in. And this year it's just going to be different because of the way that the schedule is set up and the start times that, that we have. I mean, you know, the ACC is going to have played uh, effectively two full months of football before the PAC 12 kicks off its first game that there's, there's really no way to account for that. But I do think that in some ways it really benefits the ACC and the SEC because they will have created that narrative before um, the other leagues really get a chance to ramp up. David, I wanted to focus on the ACC a little more. You had a great stat about Clemson recently. Before the first week of October, Clemson is 12-12-1 against the spread. After, they're 29-15-2. They host number eight Miami this weekend. They're at Notre Dame in November. They do play Pitt, and we'll talk about them a little bit later. Do you see anyone in the ACC stopping the Tigers? 
probably not. Now, I, I mean, I, I will say this Clemson team, to me, probably has a few more question marks um, than a lot of sort of the recent year Clemson teams have had. Now, they've got Travis Etienne and they've got Trevor Lawrence, and I think everybody, you know, we, we tend to view football through a sort of fantasy football mindset of, like, what's your QB, wide receiver, and running back look like? Um, and, and Clemson, for the most part, is pretty good in those areas, particularly at running back and quarterback. But, you know, they, they've got four new starters on their offensive line. They're, they've been playing without uh, both of their starting defensive ends thus far. Um, they're completely turned over in the secondary uh, for the most part. I mean, th- there's a lot of moving pieces with this Clemson team that I think it leaves some wiggle room when you look at the fact that the rest of the league is probably a good bit better than it was last year. I mean, um, I, I've been, I was beating the pit bandwagon until they utterly broke my heart uh, on Saturday. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I think Pitt's defense is obviously very good. North Carolina is good. Miami's good. Notre Dame's good. Virginia Tech's good. Um, you know, this is not a, a cakewalk in the ACC like it was last year. Um, but the other thing, you know, what, what that stat that you mentioned was getting at is that this is sort of Dabo's MO. This is what he does every year is sort of soft play the beginning of the season to get a feel for what works and what doesn't, to try out a lot of personnel to see who's ready to play and who's not. Um, he's not interested in, in style points in September. He is interested in making sure that his team is ready for October, November, and beyond. Um, so I would not be surprised at all if the sort of inconsistent Clemson that we have seen in the first three games magically turns into dominant Clemson against Miami on Saturday. That is just sort of how Dabo's teams have played out over the last few years. Okay, so let's get to Pitt. The most entertaining game of the weekend had to be NC State Pitt with the Wolfpack pulling off a 30-29 to upset. David, it feels like each year we have a promising Pitt team that drops a game they absolutely cannot drop. NC State was projected as a middle-of-the-pack team. You had them finishing 10th in the ACC, and they had just been demolished by Virginia Tech the week before. So what happened? <laughs> uh, Pitt being Pitt, man, this is uh, this is what they do. Um you know, I one of the reasons that I was high on Pitt, and, and, and I'm, I, you know, I've got no agenda or bias here. I just tend to look at the numbers and I say, all right, well, what what would suggest that from one year to the next you're going to see a different outcome? And, and so I tend to look at stats that are based around heavily around luck. So turnover margin, um, you know, red zone scoring, goal to go scoring, those kind of things. You know, if you're if you were an outlier in those categories in one year, the odds are you're going to regress to the mean in the next year. And all of those things pointed to improvement for Pitt. They lost a lot of close games last year. They were really bad in the red zone last year. Um, they had a fairly sizable swing in turnover margin last year. All of those things should suggest that this year they were going to be much better. Um should is the operative word there, though, because if you watch them play at C-State, <laughs> they did all the stupid things that they were doing all along. You know, they they had four straight plays from inside the five-yard line and couldn't get in. If they score there, they win that game. Um, they settle for field goals in the red zone multiple times. If they get a touchdown on any one of them, they win that game. They've had dropped – their receivers have dropped more balls than any other team in the country since the start 
uh, of last season. And, of course, they have a receiver drop a two-point conversion that was the difference in that game. So, you know, I, I it's it's you, you look at it from a, a number standpoint, a data standpoint, and you say all of these stupid things that tend to be not sustainable over the long term should point in Pitt's direction. But Pitt manages to sustain these stupid things a little longer than everybody else does. And, David, we'll get you out of here on this one. Let's talk Syracuse football for a moment. Syracuse finally put some points on the board over the weekend. They swore to combine 16 against UNC and Pitt and then went off for 37 against Georgia Tech. David, please tell me how our alma mater has fixed this offense and predict how the rest of the season is going to go for them. Uh, fixed is probably a very um, <laughs> high hope. I, I don't know that I would go that far. Um, what you saw is what that offense is capable of doing when – Tommy DeVito isn't constantly uh, under pressure, and uh, the running game can make some things happen. I mean, look, look, when your offensive line is not blocking well and you can't turn around and hand it off and rely on your ground game to make anything happen, the pressure is all on a quarterback, and this is a quarterback who has been beaten up pretty darn good over the last couple of years. His sack numbers are awful, and some of that's on him, but that tends to be the result of you know, when a guy is getting hit left and right, you get a little bit of PTSD about it. You start looking to get hit um, or you're a little hesitant or, or you get to get rid of the ball too fast and you don't wait for windows to open up. There's just a lack of comfort in the pocket for Tommy DeVito. And until that's fixed, it's really hard to expect them to be consistent on offense. Now, um, you know, what they did against Georgia Tech is certainly encouraging and there's, they're going to play some teams down the road that, that I think they can probably have similar success against. But, you know, the, the line and the, and the backfield are still, talent-wise, pretty deficient at this point. So, I, look, I think if, if, if they can put a few wins together and get to four or five wins on the season, that's probably not a bad place considering where things started. Um, you know, I, I don't – I think – you know, everybody, if you're a Syracuse fan, you can look back a couple of years ago at the 10-win season and say, no, that's where we, we should be. And I get that. Um, I just think, you know, talent-wise, there's just not enough talent on this roster to be that consistently at this point. Well, we can say Tommy DeVito didn't get sacked this weekend, so I guess that's a good sign. I assume he was kind of kicked back on a on a lazy boy, uh, enjoying not getting. Although it, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he was just sitting in his living room and like four pit defenders just randomly uh, attacked him there. Just that seems to be the way that uh, his his career has been going there. But uh, <laughs> yes, I hope he enjoyed one off week from getting hit. David, thank you so much for coming on the program. Again, our great friend David Hale from ESPN.com doing a great job of covering the college football season. David, thanks again for your insight, and we'll speak with you soon. All right. Thanks for having me. Awesome stuff from David Hale, who Syracuse fans love for really playing up the Dixon for Heisman angle a few years ago. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online editor-in-chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, Syracuse had a bye in week four, so they didn't win or lose, and they stay at home to host 0-4 Duke this weekend. Brad, do you see Syracuse getting win number two on the season? As you mentioned, Wes, Duke has certainly struggled so far this season. The quick answer is yes, I do expect Syracuse to get its second win, but diving into it a little more, the Blue Devils come in at 0-4 and after losing to Virginia Tech 38-31 to last weekend. 
And when you look at the ACC team offensive statistics, the two teams at the bottom are Syracuse and below them at number 15 is Duke. So these teams have had trouble scoring for most of the season. Of course, the Orange got turnovers that turned into points and winning uh, for the first time against Georgia Tech two weeks ago. But I think Syracuse will continue to play well at home. The Carrier Dome, a big advantage at home for SU. They haven't been a great road team in the ACC. This year they're going to have six games at home, five on the road, so you have to win at the Carrier Dome, fans or not. And when you look at the Syracuse defense, uh, Wes, it's been really interesting. They had five turnovers to help propel the win over Georgia Tech. Had some offense that finally awoken with Tommy DeVito throwing a couple of touchdown passes. But when you look at the uh, the defense, how young it is, two of the six leading tacklers are upperclassmen. The other four are either redshirt freshmen, true freshmen, or sophomores. So these are players whose names are starting to pick up for SU fans on defense. Linebacker Jeff Canton, Arku, who leads the team in tackles. True freshman Jihad Carter in the defensive secondary had a pick against Georgia Tech, lateraled it back to True Williams who took it in for a touchdown. True Williams is one of the top six tacklers. He's the lone junior. Then you have Garrett Williams, redshirt freshman uh, defensive back, who's really filled in admirably for the injured Andre Sisco. Mikel Jones, who's done it all at the linebacker spot, a sophomore. And the other true freshman linebacker, Stephon Thompson. So these are really young players that are contributing in the middle and the defensive backfield for the Orange. Of course, where they have most of the veteran players is on the defensive line, but that combination has been really efficient this year, and Syracuse is going to look to cause more turnovers against Blue Devils quarterback Chase Bryce in this game and then hope the offense keeps going with a great attack on on the ground from Sean Tucker, who had a breakout game against Georgia Tech. And then the continued passing from Tommy DeVito to his outstanding you know, trio of starting wide receivers. And then the special teams have been efficient. So all adds up to, I think, a second win for the Orange uh, in this homestand against Duke on Saturday. Brad, as I mentioned, Syracuse is getting ready for week five. It's only an 11-week season, so we're right at the midway point right now. Brad, your take on the state of the ACC and where Syracuse stands. With this unusual season, Wes, in which there are 15 big, uh, excuse me, ACC teams because of Notre Dame's addition for the year, kind of divide the uh, 15 into three groups of five. That top five is the teams that are all happen to be ranked this week. Of course, number one, Clemson looks great. No one's really challenged the Tigers so far. Number five is Notre Dame. And really some unknowns on the Irish had their last game against Wake Forest postponed and host Florida State, a big disappointment coming up this weekend. Uh, Ranked number seven is Miami. Are the Hurricanes really a top 10 team? They certainly look impressive so far, but in this you know year of college football where a couple of conferences just started, a couple are still yet to come, it's really hard to put into perspective if Miami is the number seven team in the country, but that's where they're ranked this week. Right behind that, same story for North Carolina undefeated, won a close game at BC last week. But are they really the number eight team in the country? I would say no. They they look pretty good, but top 10, I wouldn't say that far. And then the real surprise team in the ACC, Virginia Tech, doing it shorthanded, minus players due to the pandemic, minus some coaching staff members, won that game, as we mentioned, against Duke last weekend. 
they've been impressive playing shorthanded coming in ranked number 19 this week. Then you have the middle group of five, I would say, are Pittsburgh, NC State, which just won at Pitt last weekend. Uh, Louisville, despite its loss at Pittsburgh. Uh, Virginia. And then either BC or Wake Forest could flip-flop in that spot, leading the bottom five, where I position Syracuse among those last five in the 15-team league, along with either, again, BC or Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, Florida State, a huge disappointment, and then Saturday's opponent, Duke. So the Orange right now in the bottom three West, I think with the home schedule, as I mentioned, they play Wake Forest at home. They play BC at home, play NC State at home. All winnable games in the Dome still have to finish at Clemson, Louisville, and Notre Dame. So if anything, maybe they win at Louisville, but maybe then lose at home to a BC or NC State that kind of you know offsets that towards that six and five uh, sort of finish. But right now, Syracuse in the bottom third of the 15-team ACC. And Brad, we are right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. My closing thoughts revolve around the beginning of college basketball practice coming up now October 14th. So it's getting to be hoops time, Wes. And what's that going to mean for the regular season? I think at this point, the, the conferences and the NCAA have to look at many bubble setups because, after all, it's worked for the NBA into its championship round. It worked for the basketball tournament this summer with a lower amount of teams, but all quarantined at the same location in Columbus, Ohio. And we've seen it really hasn't worked in football because it's really hard to do that in football with so many teams in, in the FBS Division One and then 32 NFL teams. And We've seen the postponed or canceled games in college football. We've now seen that affecting the NFL. So it's really hard to avoid, I guess the word is temptation. But bubbles are certainly another step along the way to ensure health and safety protocols are met. Players aren't tempted to leave the bubble and also designed to help uh, think about family and close friends of these athletes and participants and staff in this pandemic era. So it'll be interesting to see when the college basketball schedules are released soon, if there are indeed going to be singular sites that host multiple games. Brad, my closing thoughts are on Syracuse legend and NBA Hall of Famer Dave Bing. Bing has a new autobiography coming out November 10 called Attacking the Rim, My Journey from NBA Legend to Business Leader to Big City Mayor to Mentor. We all know that Bing is one of the greatest Syracuse and NBA players of all time, and he was also owned one of the nation's top African-American-owned firms in the 1980s and was the mayor of Detroit. I'm really looking forward to reading more about Bing when the book comes out. That's it for us for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that for some reason, cowboy sounds better than cowman. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network.